Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you want to speak to us, that you've made yourself available to us. Father, this moment, right now, this is us responding to that, saying that we want to hear from you. We want to encounter you. We want to grow in our walk and our relationship with you. So be here this morning, Lord. Come in all of your glory and all of your fullness and speak to us so that we can grow in our walk with you and be made more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Today we're starting a brand new little two-part series called Make Room. Make Room. I believe that God wants to do things, fresh things, new things, creative things all the time in our lives, but God is wanting us to make room for him to do that in our lives. And, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, we see the Apostle Paul give a very short and clear explanation of this interesting balance that we as Christians have to figure out, and we have to find balance to this tension in our Christian life and our Christian walk. And it's the tension or the balance between God's grace and my works. Or we could say it this way, God's grace in my faith. God's grace is what he gives to us, but when it comes to my works, what is God requiring of me? The Apostle Paul starts to address this in Ephesians 2, and he, say, he gives us some very clear in, uh, details that will help us navigate our walk with God. But throughout the course of our life with God, throughout our Christian walk, we have to continually remind ourselves of these truths that are found in Ephesians 2 so that outward, we don't become all grace and no works or all works and no grace. There's a divine partnership that unfolds throughout our life, throughout our walk with God. And Paul starts to talk about it here in Ephesians 2. And I want to take some time today and set the table for where we're going. Because if we will make room for God to do things in our life, we will see him go to work and do amazing things in our life that we could never do ourselves. Anybody believe that this morning? So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to set the table for where we're about to go, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. This is what Paul says about grace and works. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Everybody say grace. grace. Grace is what God has extended to us. But how do we receive that grace? Through faith. This is my side. This is my responsibility. And not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And what he's saying right here is that we can't brag about our salvation, we can't boast about our salvation and about our relationship with God because we have done absolutely nothing to earn it. We've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. So since I didn't earn it and I don't deserve it, I can't brag about it. I can't boast about it. There's nothing I've ever done that would make me deserve my salvation. But God gives it to me through grace. And how is it that I access it? By faith. God gives by grace. I access it. I receive it by faith. If you've been around the bridge for a while, you've heard Pastor Gary talk about this a whole lot. Pastor Gary, our senior pastor, talks about this all the time. He says that grace is extended to us like a free gift from God. And what happens when somebody gives you a gift? The only way you will access what is inside that package is if you reach out, you accept it for yourself, you open it up, you discover it, and you take it with you. That's our faith. God gives us grace. He gives us salvation offered to us by grace. We receive it by faith. And sometimes, again, balancing that tension between God's grace and my faith or my works. I don't want to be all grace because if I get all grace, then I, I kind of remove myself of any responsibility. But if I become all works, then I can start to brag about my self-righteousness. And that's not God's plan. So there's a healthy balance that we have to find in the tension between God's grace and my faith, my works, my responsibility. And I read a pretty cool story earlier this week that kind of helped me to understand this, and I thought this would hit home with some of you. I heard this really cool story about a family, a wealthy family, and I don't even know where they live. They're somewhere here in the United States. And this family almost annually will do a treasure hunt. 
And they will give money and put it in a literal treasure chest and hide it somewhere, and they will begin to send out clues about where this treasure chest is hidden through social media. So they did one last year, and a lot of people went and looked for it, but only one person found it. Well, earlier this week, somebody found this year's treasure that this family had hidden, and they found it in the mountains of Utah. And this gentleman that found it is a police officer, he's a husband, a father of three, and he was looking at all the clues, and he had been on multiple hikes, and he set out one day because some of these clues kind of came together in his head, and he thought, you know, I think I might know where I can find this hidden treasure. And he set out to hike the first day, and he saw lots of other people out, and that discouraged him because he thought, "Uh uh-oh, other people have figured it out too. But then he started to look at the coordinates and he kept checking on his phone and he discovered that nobody had found the treasure yet because you could stay updated in real time. And he kept looking at the coordinates and looking at the locations and going back to the clues. And he came back to this thought of, man, I feel like I'm close. I feel like I'm not far. I feel like I'm about to figure this thing out. And so instead of giving up, he set out for a second day's journey on this hike until he himself finally found this treasure chest. He found the chest, he cracked it open, and inside was $10,000 in cash, people got excited right there, and a valuable silver coin. And he found this thing, and immediately he took pictures, and he posted it online, and the people responded, and they sent out notifications saying that the hunt is over, the treasure has been found. When I read this story, I, I, I immediately realized something. This story reminded me of how God extends grace. He extends this treasure of salvation to us. And it's not something that we could earn. He gives it as a free gift. But the way that we receive it or access it is through our faith. If we want to experience salvation that's given by grace, how do we access it? By faith. God makes it available, but it's up to me to go and get it for myself. Everybody with me this morning? And when you see this theme that occurs right here of God extending a gift, but I have to go out and embrace it, receive it, or access it by faith or action, it reminds us that all throughout Scripture we see this picture of divine partnership taking place. And I want to show you a few other examples of this that I think will help to drive this point home. And you don't have to turn to these passages. You can stay right there in Ephesians because that's where we're going to go back to in just a few minutes. But look at this theme that we see throughout Scripture, okay? Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 7, toward the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So God gives us access to his promises, to salvation, to intimacy, and to a relationship with him. But it's up to us to do the asking, the seeking, and the knocking. Does everybody get that this morning? There's something that God is making available, but he's saying, take a step in my direction and see if I won't meet you in the path. In other words, it's as if God is saying, if you'll do the asking, I'll do the answering. If you'll do the seeking, I'll take care of the finding. If you'll do the knocking, then I will do the opening. And I believe that promise is true all throughout Scripture. It's not about works. It's about what God has given us and made available to us through grace that I must access by action and by faith. Does this hit home with everybody this morning? Now let's keep going because there's a few other Scriptures that show us the same theme. If you look at James, you know, the Apostle James, who was the pastor of the early church in Jerusalem, James said this in the first half of James 4.8. He says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. So maybe you're here today and you've walked through a time in your life, a circumstance, a season, a situation, where you're like, man, it feels like God's so distant. It feels like God's so far away. If only God was close. If only God was near. 
But what James says right here is that if we want nearness with God, we must first draw near to him because God has made nearness available. But it's up to us in faith to step out and, and pursue and go toward nearness or intimacy with God. It's like God is saying, if you draw near, I'll draw nearer. If you'll draw near, I know that's not a word. If you'll draw near, I'll draw near. You take a step. I've made something available to you, but reach out and access it by faith. Now, those are New Testament examples, but look at this. Jeremiah chapter 29. All of us, probably most of us, know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope, and to give you a future. But if you look at the next two verses, look at what it says. It says in verse 12, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. We do the calling. We do the praying. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me. We do the seeking. And you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. It's as if, again, God is saying, if you'll do the praying, I'll do the listening. If you'll do the searching, then I will take care of the finding. And I love this divine partnership that's illustrated all throughout Scripture where God extends something. He makes something available in that path, but it's up to us to get on the path and chase after it in faith, believing that God is going to give us what he promised. Is everybody with me today? And with that said, those are all talking about either our salvation or our relationship with God or hearing, having intimacy and hearing the voice of God. But let's talk about a tangible area of our life, okay? All of us have to deal with money stuff sometimes, right? We want God to bless us when it comes to our finances. We want God to provide for us. We want God to give us what we need so that we have enough and hopefully we have an abundance as well. And God makes it clear in Scripture how it is that we can access his provision and access his abundance. Now, everybody hang tight here for a minute because don't worry, we already talked about giving, okay? We're not going to take up another offering right now. But I'm going to give you a tangible example of how this kind of applies to our hands in our everyday life. We all know that those of us who have been tithing and giving to God throughout the course of our life, Malachi chapter 3 gives us a very tangible example of how this works. Malachi 3.10 says, bring, everybody say bring. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Other translations say, test me now in this. One of the only places, the only one that I know of, especially in the Old Testament where God says, put me to the test. Try it. Try it. See if I'm not good on my promises. Put me to the test. Right now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Notice those words, that there will not be room enough to receive it. I love those words, and here's why. Because when I read this, the thing it reminds me of is it's as if God is saying, if you'll do the bringing, then I will do the blessing. If you will do the bringing, then I will do the blessing. See, what all of us want from God is his blessing on our finances. We want God's blessing on our treasure. We want to have an abundance. But God says, listen, there's blessing available. I've already made blessing available to you. It's up to you to do the bringing. And again, what's the picture? It's divine partnership. You do the bringing, and I will do the blessing. And here's what I love about this. That very last line there in verse 11 says that I will pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And the picture I see here when I read this is it's as if God is saying, if you will choose to honor me with your tithe, you are making room, you are making a place, you are making space for me to bless. For all of you that brought clothing today, what did you do? You made room in your closet. Now you can go buy some new clothes because you got somewhere to put them. You got rid of the old, you made space for the new. 
And I think God's saying the same thing here. If you will give me something to work with, if you will do the bringing, I will do the blessing. I will make, if you will make space, I will fill that space with my blessing in your life. It's available by grace, but you have to reach out and access it by action and by faith. Now, I love that thought and that idea because, again, God wants to be involved in every area of our life. The question is, are we making room for him to work? Now, today, the thing that I want to talk to you about making room for, and I think this is going to really be uh, timely for a lot of us in, in the day and age in which we live right now, the circumstances of the world that we're living in. Today, I want to talk to you about making room for God's peace. Anybody need some peace in your life? A lot of you are like, you know, I feel like I've accessed the peace of God, but I could sure use another measure, a greater measure of God's peace. Is there anybody that's with me this morning? You need some more of God's peace in your life. Well, I want to submit to you today that we can access God's peace the same way that we access our salvation. He makes it available by grace, but we reach out and we accept it by faith. And here's what I want to read to you this morning. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, okay? So you were in Ephesians, Ephesians 2. Flip ahead to Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you will know Ephesians 6 very well because there's this one theme right there in the middle of the passage that Paul gets into, and it's something that as Christians we know very well, and it's the theme or the passage of the armor of God, okay? Now, we could spend a few weeks talking about the armor of God, certainly at least one good message, but that's not the point of this message today. Today, I want to talk to you about making room or accessing God's peace in our life. So let's read real quick through Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10. Paul writes these words. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now push pause right there for just a minute because... I don't want to go too far down this path, but I think that that verse right there, verse 12, serves as a good reminder to all of us as Christians to ask ourselves the questions, who are we fighting with? Because we live in a crazy world. And oftentimes, we can allow our political persuasions to give us anger in one direction or anger in another. We can look at things that are happening in society that we do or don't like, and it can make us angry in this direction or that direction. And when we look at the things that are bothering us in the world that we live in, we can look around in circles, and pretty soon we're fighting with everybody around us when Paul's trying to remind us that we do not war against flesh and blood. If you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, find yourself fighting against people, you might be fighting the wrong fight. Maybe we need to fight people less and we need to pray to God more. Is everybody with me this morning? Maybe we need to fight against people less and pray to God a whole lot more. And I think Paul wants to remind us that right there. We're not warring against one another. We're not warring against people. The things that are happening in our world are symptomatic of the devil that is alive and fighting against the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be very, very careful that we're not going around making enemies of the people in this world. We need to shine a light into darkness so that people see the truth of, of the love of Christ that lives on the inside of us. Amen? But look what Paul says next in verse 13, because now he talks us, or he walks us into this picture of we are fighting a spiritual battle every single day of our life. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, verse 14, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, like we said earlier, we could spend all day, we could spend the next few weeks talking about the armor of God, and I don't think we've done that in a while, and it'll be fun to come back to this and talk about it, because there's a lot of spiritual truth that Paul's unpacking right here, but let's just talk for a minute about everything that he's saying here, okay? Because he's giving us this spiritual armor, not physical armor, it's spiritual armor, but he uses a physical illustration to show us how we're supposed to live our daily Christian lives. He gives us this list of all of the items of armor, the things that we're supposed to put on as believers. Let's just walk through these really quick, okay? Having girded your waist with truth, he says in verse 14. This is like the belt of truth. What does a belt do? It holds everything together. It holds everything in place. That is what the truth of God's word is supposed to do in our life. It's supposed to hold things up, keep things together. And I've said this before, if you've ever heard me talk about the armor of God, and let me just say it again one more time. If truth is like a belt, if all of us would wear truth on our life like a belt, we would be caught with our pants down a whole lot less. <laughs> just going to leave that there for you to think about. All right, let's keep going so that you don't meditate on that for too long. Second half of verse 14, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is like armor that would go over your torso to protect your vital organs, but most specifically, your heart. He says, put righteousness on like an armor that guards your heart and your vital organs. Skip verse 15. We're going to come back to that. Look at verse 16. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith. In other words, faith is our defense. It's a shield. It helps to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. Anytime we are under attack, the enemy comes at us. We face difficulties, challenges, obstacles that are thrown our way. What do we throw up as our defense? We throw up our faith, knowing that God is always faithful. He's always true to his word, and we can look to him for our protection. goes on in verse 17, and he says, take the helmet of salvation. Salvation should serve as a helmet that protects our mind. Scripture says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. So put on salvation like a helmet that protects your head, that protects your mind. God wants to change the way that we think. And then finally in verse 17, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The only offensive weapon here that's shown in this picture of the armor of God, the word of God. Think of Jesus before he stepped into his earthly ministry. Scripture says that he was led by the Spirit of God to go into the wilderness and be tempted. He encounters Satan, and every time Satan throws temptation at him, what does Jesus throw back? He takes out the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Let me tell you something today. If you are facing temptation in any area of your life, don't just sit back and let the enemy come at you. Pick up the word of God and go back on the offense of yourself and take control of that situation. Amen? But of all of those things that are described right there that we just talked about, all of those things I can relate to because I can picture what those points, of, those parts of the armor look like when I think about a soldier stepping out to battle, especially in Paul's day, with old-fashioned armor that they might have put on to go into battle. But there's this one verse in there that's really, really peculiar, and this one element, this one part of the armor that just stands out to me as being a bit different or maybe even unusual. Look at verse 15 one more time. Paul says, and having shod your feet, shod, that's a weird word, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wait, hold on, that doesn't sound like a piece of armor, that doesn't sound like a weapon. We've shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of, what does that mean exactly? 
See, all of us want to have peace in our life, but what Paul is saying here is there's a way that we access God's peace in our life. And and I love how he illustrates this. He says that we need to have peace at our feet. Peace at my feet. What, What does that even mean? I want to take some time here over the next few minutes throughout the course of of the time that we have left, and I want to talk about accessing, making room for more of God's peace in our life. He says in verse 15, you shall shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's talk about, first of all, the gospel of peace. What does that even mean? The gospel of peace. If you look throughout scripture, you don't see this phrase, gospel of peace, used anywhere else. You see gospel used multiple times in the New Testament. You see the word peace used multiple times all throughout Scripture. But gospel of peace is a phrase that we don't see anywhere else. And here's what I think is so cool about this. It's as if what Paul is saying here is that there's good news. You can find peace at your feet. We all know what gospel means, right? It means good news. It means good report. And if Paul here is talking about the armor of God, the whole context of this is a spiritual battle. Does anybody ever just wake up in the morning and you start to face obstacles both naturally and spiritually that you look at and you say, this is bigger than me? And has anybody ever found yourself in a place where you look at what you've been through in the past and when you look at the path that's in front of you, you say, I'm not so sure I can do this. I mean, I've seen some difficult days. I've made some mistakes. I've been some places. I've stepped in some stuff. And when I look at my track record, when I look at my past, when I look at where I've been, when I look at what I've done, when I look at the mistakes that I've made, and then I step out into the life that God has called me to, recognizing that as Paul says, this is going to be a spiritual battle. Listen, it is sometimes difficult to take steps of faith and have peace in my heart that everything's going to be okay. But look at what Paul says here. He says that we shod our feet with the, the preparation of the gospel. There's good news. You can have peace even if you're walking through a battle. The gospel of peace, the good report of peace, the good news of peace. And how is it that this is good news? I mean, think about this for just a minute. If you told me that tomorrow I had to step onto the front lines of a battle or a war, I would be really worried. I would be really afraid for my safety. I'm not so sure I'm going to come back from this thing. How can I step into the battle where victory is yet to be determined and have peace at my feet? Can I tell you something? The battle that you are stepping into, it's already been won. It's already been won. You might say, oh, but Zach, you don't know what my circumstance is. Listen, little picture, your circumstances might not yet be determined. Big picture, Christ has already won the battle. And what we have to understand is this idea of this gospel of peace, this good news, this good report of peace for the battle or for the path that's in front of us. The reason it's good news is because we are not going to fight for victory. We are fighting from victory because Christ has already won this battle. So imagine what it's like to step into that battle that's in front of you, to step into your everyday life, whatever difficulty you might be facing, knowing the victory has already been won so I can step forward in peace. That's good news. That's good news. And here's the other side of this. We talk about the gospel of peace. See, peace is one of those things that if you actually look at the original writings and ask the question, what does peace mean? It literally just means tranquility. So I can have tranquility in the middle of a battle? I can have tranquility in the middle of a storm? I can have tranquility in the middle of my circumstances? Yeah, because the battle's already been won. 
And here's what's another thing that I just absolutely love about this idea. I mean, man, verse 15 right here, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is one of those verses in the Bible that you can almost take every word from this verse and talk about it, preach about it, teach about it. And when Paul talks here about peace, one of the things that we tend to think of, especially as Americans, man, we have had it so made. We are so fortunate in the land that we live. But sometimes when we think about this idea of peace, we think that peace is the absence of conflict. But as we've talked about so many times here in church, peace is not the absence of, con of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in the middle of our storm. Because life is never going to be without trial. Life is never going to be without conflict. Never, life is never going to be without some sort of challenge or circumstance that's being thrown our way. But it's, able, it's the ability to look at it and say, Christ has already won the battle, so therefore I can walk forward in peace. And here's the interesting thing, too, about peace. You know, again, we like to think that peace is the absence of conflict. But you know what you have to have if you want to have peace? Sometimes you have to have war if you want to have peace. And again, how does this work? Because God extends grace, but he still asks me to have faith. Well, see, Christ has already supplied victory for us. But in my daily life, I'm going to be required to take steps of faith to access the victory that he's provided. If I can look back and say, Jesus, you went to the cross and died for me. You were raised from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave for all of eternity so that I would not have to face it. It ain't such a big deal for me to get up in the morning, put on my peace shoes, and go fight the battle that's in front of me. Because I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from victory. Everybody with me this morning? And I think it's so important that we understand what it is that Paul's saying here. He's saying, good news. You can have peace in the middle of your battle. You can have peace in the middle of your circumstance or your challenge or your storm that you're facing. But we still have to choose to take steps of faith and access all that God has made available to us by his grace. Now, man, so many things that we could say here about this. But let me just give you a couple quick things, a couple quick verses that will help us out here, okay? How do I access the peace of God? How do I access the peace of God? Because that sure sounds good in theory, but Zach, you don't know what I'm waking up to tomorrow. Zach, you don't know what I have to deal with when I go home from church. Because right now, I feel strong. I feel like I could just conquer a giant, but I got to go home to that giant today. Some of you are like, my husband, my wife, my job tomorrow, my financial situation, my kids. You have no idea what I'm dealing with with my kids, my grown kids, my small kids, whatever that might look like. There's a lot of you think, well, that sounds great in theory. But real life still awaits me when I walk out of this place. God still makes his peace available to us, but we have to choose to access it. Look at what it says here. Psalm 119. Man, we know this verse so well, but sometimes we don't take advantage of it. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There are some of us in the room right now that know that verse by heart. We could call it out, the reference and all that good stuff, but we still don't open our Bibles. Oh, thy word, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm mean, like, some of you learned that song and that verse when Amy Grant sang it like in 1983 or whatever. But maybe the diligence of actually cracking that thing open and figuring out what it has to say about your life isn't something that you've done so well. I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I think I could put myself at the front of that line and say I could always do a better job of being in God's word more consistently in every day of my life and applying his word to every area of my life. But here's what's interesting about it, and we talk about this so often, but listen, we've got to take advantage of this. Your word is a lamp to my feet. What does a lamp do? It shines light to my feet. 
a lamp to my feet. What does that do? It shows me where I stand. God, I don't know what's going on right now. God, I look at my situation and I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know where I stand. We get into God's word and what does it do? It shines a light on our feet and says, here's where you are. Here's what's going on. Here's where you stand. And then what does the next part of the verse say? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a lamp to my feet that shows me where I stand. It's a light to my path to show me where I need to go. Can I tell you something? When God starts illuminating your path, it becomes a whole lot easier to take steps of faith and have peace around your feet. Because I recognize that it's not this voice inside of me. It's not the thing I ate last night. It's not something I conjured up. This is the word of God telling me, here's the path, here's the direction. Now take these steps of faith and follow and see if I won't meet you in that path. We need to be diligent about being in God's word because he wants to show us where we stand and he wants to show us where we're supposed to go. Amen? And one more time, I think that this verse, it's almost as if what God is saying is, if you'll light the lamp, I will light your path. There's the partnership one more time. I've made the light, I've made the provision, I've made the direction available, but it's up to you in diligence to step out and light the lamp so that I can show you where to go. I need to move quickly, but another example here, Philippians chapter 4. Again, the Apostle Paul writing these words. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, another one of those verses that we know so well, but look at the partnership, look at the divine partnership that's taking place here. Paul says in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, everybody say peace of God. Good news, you can find peace in your path. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Look what he's saying here. If you will bring the requests, if you will pray the prayer, I have peace that's available to you. I put it out there. It's on the path, but you have to access the path. And again, it's as if God is saying, if you'll bring the prayer, I'll bring the peace. We like the idea of peace it sounds good in this moment, but tomorrow morning, for all of us who know we're going to wake up and face that giant or face that obstacle, do I wake up first and pray and say, God, I know what I'm up against today, but I know that you're bigger. I need you to be with me. That's the place where we have to discover, again, that divine partnership where God has made things available. Peace is available, but the prayer is my responsibility. So just the same way that we talk about our salvation, God extends it by grace, but I have to access it. By faith. It's a divine partnership. It's not all grace and no works. It's not all works and no grace. It's a divine partnership where we go out and we discover everything that God has made available to us. Now, last couple things I want to share with you. I love what this says here. It says, if you look back at the first half of that verse of verse 15, it says that your feet will be shod with the preparation. Look at these two words. Feet shod with the preparation. Now these are, again, these are weird words. That word shod is kind of an old English word, and I'm reading this from the New King James. We see the same one show up in the King James Bible. And that word shod is basically like your feet are shooed. And that's not a word. <laughs> but your feet are shod, and that word is a verb. We have to be the ones to action, put that on our feet. But here's what's cool. That word shod is a past tense word. So think about it. I'm going to step into a battle today present tense, and a battle tomorrow, future tense, and the way that I have peace at my feet is if I have past tense, shod my feet with peace. But it's not just peace. This is where the other key word comes in, 
feet shod with the preparation. Preparation. I have been a one-year Bible reader for many, many years now. I like to get up in the morning, and I like to read my one-year Bible. And the reason I do it isn't because I get to the end of the year and I can say that I read the whole Bible this last year. In fact, there are many times where I don't even go on to the next day's reading. I'll go back to yesterday's because I feel like it's just speaking to me and I need to stay there. And I feel like that's the way that God works. But I'm going to be very honest with you right now. I think that when I was probably 24, 25 years old, that was when God really got my attention about preparation. We don't know what we're stepping into any given day of our life. We don't know. But can I tell you what I, do, what I can control? I can control my preparation time every single day of my life. And if we will choose to be in God's word, what we will discover is that slowly but surely, God is preparing us for the things that are in front of us. He's preparing us for what we're about to face. And when we step into a battle, suddenly we discover we're way more prepared for what we're encountering than what we thought we were. Because God's been doing a work inside of us all along. I remember my grandfather, and many of you, you know, you heard my dad, Pastor Gary, talk about this, but my grandfather fought on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. And he didn't like to talk about war very much at all. But I remember talking to him about his preparation time before he went into battle. And he was telling me that when he was 17, he wasn't even 18 years old yet, which I'm still not quite sure how all that worked out. But he was 17 years old before he was shipped off to Europe. He went to Texas to do some training down in Texas. And he told me stories about where they would do mustard gas training. He said they would take us into these big chambers, these big rooms where they would release this compound, this chemical compound that they called mustard gas. And he said, this stuff was crazy. It would just burn your eyes, your ears, your throat. I mean, you couldn't breathe. You know, you're salivating. You're just, your senses go crazy. And I was like, hold on. They would make you go into a chamber? They would, like your own side would do this to you. He goes, well, yeah, it was training. It was preparation for what was in front of us. I said, your side would take you to a chamber and release mustard gas? On, like, why would they do that to you? And he says, because when we got to France, when we got off the beaches and got on the mainland, like, we encountered chemical compounds all the time. And if I hadn't had training for it, I wouldn't have been ready for what I was going to face. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Is it possible that God has allowed you to walk through things in your past that are preparing you for your future? Because we look back and we say, I don't like that thing I had to walk through. I don't like that thing I stepped in. I don't like that thing I stepped on. I don't like that thing that stepped on me. And we look ahead and we worry because of the things we've experienced in the past. But what if God wants to use what's happened in the past to prepare you for the bright future that he has for your life? If I can look back and recognize that perhaps God was in some of those things, it gives me faith to know that I can walk ahead and go forward in peace. Why? Because I'm not fighting for victory. I'm fighting from a place of victory. In closing this morning, I want to just tell you a couple of funny stories that I think will help to drive this home. A few weeks ago, I was here at church and service was over and I was in the back and uh, it was toward the end of the day, and there was a gentleman that was walking through the office who's a friend of mine, and he was coming through the office, and he walks up to me, and he says, man, you got to see this. And I said, what is it? And he, he lifts up his foot. I'm not going to name this person because he'd be so embarrassed. <laughs> he lifts up his foot, and he goes, look at my shoe. And the front bottom of his shoe was, like, falling apart. Like, his foot's coming out of it. You can take it and, like, you know, do puppet talk with it. Like, it was that kind of a thing. And this person knows who he is right now, and he's probably just like, don't say my name, don't say my name. 
And we were laughing about it, and he was like, man, I've had these shoes for so long. I love these shoes. I don't want to go buy another pair of shoes. He goes, but I did pay a good amount of money for them, and they lasted me a really long time. So, hey, that's cool. I got my money's worth. Well, the funny thing is, side note, I was walking through the auditorium on Monday morning because I had to go out there for something. And I walked through, and I actually found the piece of his shoe that came off here in the auditorium. (laughs) Funny side note. But... He told me that story. Very next day, I'm at home and I'm getting dressed in the morning and I have this one pair of jeans that I've had them for a long time. I've worn them out. There's a hole here in the knee. There's another hole right here. I'm putting my pants on. Try not to visualize this. And my foot first gets stuck in the hole at the knee. And then I figure that out and fix it. And then as my foot's going down, my big toe goes through the hole that's at the top of the jeans. And next thing you know, I'm all clumsy having to sit down like a little boy and take my pants off and then put them back on the right way. And I realize that maybe it's time to buy a new pair of jeans. Paul says that we shoe our feet. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And as that happened to me that day, it occurred to me that some of us, because of our lack of preparation, are walking into new seasons with last season's shoes. And maybe the new season that God is calling you into right now is going to require that you put some new shoes on. But how do we get those shoes of peace? God extends it to us through grace. That's his goodness. But we access it by faith. How do we do it? We have to choose to be in preparation. Every day of my life is preparation for what God has in front of me in the future. We access it through being in God's word, meditating on his word. The psalmist said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's half the battle right there. Hiding God's word in our heart is our part, and if we will do it, God will see us walk into victory, whatever it is that we might face. We do it through prayer. We do it through talking to God. Listen, what what did Jesus say? He says, you bring these things, excuse me, what did Paul say in Philippians? He says, you bring these things to God, you pray to God, and he will bring the peace but it's up to me to pray. And it reminded me that I need new shoes for new seasons. I need new boots for new battles. And if I want new peace, then I had to step into a new time of preparation. Are you afraid of what's in front of you tomorrow? Maybe it's time to start preparing again for the future that God has for you. Maybe you discovered salvation 20 years ago And what God did in your life was good for the last 20 years, but now you're facing new things. Can I tell you something? New seasons require new shoes. Maybe you're up against a battle that's bigger than anything you've ever faced before. Well, guess what? If you want to fight new battles and win new battles, you've got to put on new boots. And if you want to discover new peace for the new things that God has for your life, then it's time for a new season of preparation. Amen? Would you bow your head with me this morning? My hope today is that as we're in this moment, that God will just very gently, in the way that only he can do, will just remind us that he's always waiting there for us. And he wants to meet us in our path. And if we'll choose to be diligent in preparation, he'll meet us. We said a second ago that we access God's peace and God's presence through being in his word and through prayer. But one of the ways that we also do it is through worship. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in this room, been in worship with God's people, and the presence of God just floods the place. And it doesn't matter what I was up against. 
I start thinking about Monday and it's like, man, I can take on anything. Why? Because God's with me. God's for me. Then I walk out the doors of this place and suddenly there's no more music. And suddenly everybody's gone. And it's just me and that giant. It's just me and that thing. Me and that circumstance. And I'm reminded that if I'm not constantly in preparation, then it's very, very easy for me to find myself in a place where I feel like I can't win that battle, even though on Sunday when I was with God's people, I was determined that I could. So I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you would encourage some people today and show them that you are with them even when this day is over, that when tomorrow morning begins, if they will choose to be in preparation, you will walk them down your path of peace and they can take steps of faith, of boldness and confidence knowing that you're with them. You'll never leave them and you'll never forsake them. Maybe you haven't done enough to make room for God's peace in your life. It's not a word of condemnation, but maybe right now in this moment, we could start by making room for God to flood our lives with his peace. We're going to take one more moment here of worship and we're just going to honor God. We're going to give him our lives. We're going to walk out of this place with peace in our path, knowing that we can walk forward boldly in faith. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God, encourage some people in the house today. Give us your peace. God, we choose to be in preparation and worship in your word, in prayer, knowing that that is the act of faith that accesses all that you have for us. God, we want your peace, so we give you our worship. We want your peace, so we give you our time. We want your, your peace, God, so we give you our prayers. Inhabit our praise and be with us. Give us your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. are open, nothing here is hidden, you are one desire, you alone are holy, only you are worthy, God, let your fire fall down, to you our hearts are open, nothing here is
God, let our praise be the thing that invites your presence and your peace into our life. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us and that you have made plans, you've made preparation for us to discover your peace. We today choose, God, we choose to devote ourselves to our responsibility in the preparation, to be in your word, to pray, Father, to be in communication with you, to be close to you and near to you and experience your presence and your peace every day of our life, God, in every area, every situation of our life. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace and for your promise. We reach out and we grab it today in Jesus' name. Finally, very last thing, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for one more moment, maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Christ. I want to tell you something, there's nothing that you could ever do to earn that relationship. The beauty of it is that Jesus and his grace came, laid his life down for you and for me. He died. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was spotless. He died the death that we deserve for our sins so that we could be brought into relationship with him. Scripture says that if we put our faith in that sacrifice that Jesus made, we could experience salvation. Even better news is that he didn't stop there because three days later, after Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell in the grave for us so that we would not have to face it in eternity. If you've never made a decision to put your faith in Christ and come into a relationship with God, I would love to invite you into that right now and just simply pray a prayer with you. We're going to pray it all together, all at once just to walk you into that relationship. It's the best decision you could ever make. Right now, we're going to do this all together. So I want to ask everybody if you would repeat these words after me. If you want to make that decision, it's not about magic words. It's about the commitment you make in your heart. Everybody say these words right after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you gave your life in exchange for mine. So today, I put my hope in you, my faith in you, my trust in you, for this life into eternity. I want to walk with you. I want to learn your ways. And as of this moment, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, no better decision that you can make. Let me put our hands together and welcome some people in the family of God today. If you made that decision to follow Jesus today, we want to help you start your journey. We feel like it's our responsibility. We want to put a gift in your hand, a tool in your hand to help you get started. It's called the next seven days. And everybody hang tight. Just a moment. We'll be done here in just a second. Be considerate of those who made decisions today. But if you made that decision, just come see one of our prayer teams right after this service. Up against one of these side walls, you can walk up to them, let them know, I made a decision to follow Jesus and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. You can let the people that are there know that you made a decision to follow Jesus and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We're so happy to help you get started in your walk with God. Hey, God bless you. Take advantage of that if you made a decision to follow Christ. We love you, church. Have an awesome day and a great week. We will see you in church next Sunday morning.